episode of Gutter Glitter, you stunningly beautiful, resilient, lovable, strong, sunshine personified flowers. Let us enter into the new year anew with the confidence of, I don't know, a thousand suns, because everyone knows suns are confident. Oh, look, we're getting into episode 26. Holy fuck, how do we get here? Chapter 15, you should have seen the other guy. Look, I'm not going to say too much, but this is a doozer. Uh, It was a doozer in life. Re-recording it was a doozer and editing it was tough stuff. So I hope you enjoy. Few little announcements before we get into the chapter. Speaking of a year of growth and self-love, I want to recommend a book. It's a a journal, a 52-week journal of prompts and practices for loving who you are. I've just started it and I'm obsessed. It's called A Year of Self-Love Journal by Jamila L. White. It could be an I. I think it's an I. Jamila I. White. Anyway, it is a weekly journal with lots of prompts that encourage you to watch or write about for that week and has check-ins throughout the year of how you're going and what you're moving toward and your goals. And it's just a really cool way to kind of keep you accountable moving in, in a positive direction. And, um, I'm excited about it. So I thought, you know, if you're listening to this, you might be on the same wavelength and want to give it a little look at. So there's a little tipski for you. Additionally, I was, I've been working on a project uh, with somebody else that will be upcoming in, I don't know, the next few months or so. So you'll hear about it then. And as such, I was listening back to a couple of old episodes and I realized the ones that I recorded while I was in the psych facility last year the sound quality were just was just not good because the room was large and expansive. And um, so I just wanted to apologize for that. And eventually I'll go back and I'll re-record. But um, as this is a, a one-woman ship uh, and I'm driving it all on my own, oof, things are taking time. Um, I thought I'd be able to do one podcast a week and it's, it's obviously not been uh, that easy for me to get them out as I wanted. Um, so I basically, I'm just asking for your grace at this time. And of course it's going to be even harder because once again, I've broken my computer. It was kind enough to stay alive long enough to let me edit this podcast. But if I sound a little bit different now, that's because I'm recording this intro on my phone uh, rather than through my microphone and computer setup. So I'm going to have to send it into the geniuses again. And, you know, last time it took them a little while to get the computer back to me. So 
just just fingers crossed it's not going to be a huge bill like last time. That's what we can pray for. Oh dear, look, that's life. Uh, we, we try our best. What is it? We make plans and God laughs in our fucking faces. <laughs> oh, lordy. Finally, I did want to mention the book is now available in ebook form. So if that's more your speed, you can get it in ebook, which is very exciting. Um, however, the way my distribution channel works is that it slowly uh, is filtered into lots of different channels as uh, distributors as they are accepted. So right now I've had a look through, you know, the normal uh, Kindle, uh, um, Apple, Apple and Amazon kind of ones, and it's not up on those uh, yet. But do check it out on your regular listening, you know, ebook reading area. Sorry, I'm so novel at this. I don't uh, do ebooks, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, but at the moment, it's only up on a few different ebook areas. It is up on hard copy, um, as you know, in almost any way you want to get it at this stage. And of course, all those links are in my bio, particularly to the Etsy, which is directly through me. And you can get it signed if you go through that um, avenue. Some of the places that are available already from in ebook form, um, some of them are German for some reason. The Germans seem to already be onto it. So that is the BOL, B-O-L website. Um, what else? I've got them up in front of me here, so bear with me. Booktopia has it in ebook form, so that's an easy one for Australia. Lemons Media uh, looks also like it might be German. <laughs> Ex Libris is also doing ebook. Uh, Weltbild. Weltbild, I think, might also be German. <laughs> and Everand. So those are a few, and I will put some of the English ones, the links to, um, and look, why not? I'll put a couple of German ones as well, even though I don't think I have any German listeners at this stage in uh, the show notes and on my website as well. So you'll be able to, to find at least an ebook copy, but it looks like for Australia, Booktopia is the best way for you. Can't really see anything for overseas, but like I said, I mean, um, America and Canada and some of the areas where um, my other listener, bulk listeners are, um, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing a whole lot. Possibly Everand is a good uh, avenue for you guys to go down, but yeah, like I said, it should slowly start to come to more and more platforms over the next several weeks to months. So keep checking in and I will also keep checking in and let you know as well. But if there is a certain platform that you use, yeah, every now and then just check in and see if it's arrived there. And if you can let me know uh, if I haven't already mentioned it in an upcoming pod, 
that'd be great. So I can share the news with everybody else. I think that is enough from me for one day. Um, the chapter will sound better than this because, like I said, my computer did allow me to edit it before it decided to uh, shit its pants. Uh, also, I just wanted to say if you can share the podcast around, share the book on your networks, please. It helps me so, so much. Uh, I am trying to spread the word of the book as much as possible. It is up on my vision board for 2024 that we are going to take over the world. So if you are enjoying the show, please keep telling people about it. Word of mouth is the best way to to share the love, share it on your socials. Um, it, it really, really helps. And also, of course, making reviews, doing five stars uh, just on the podcast app you're listening to this on. All of that makes a huge difference. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy the next chapter and I look forward to talking to you again when I can. (laughs) Hopefully it won't be too long. Lots of love and I look forward to the next time we meet. Chapter 15. You should have seen the other guy. Soundtrack, The Weeknd, featuring Ed Sheeran. Dark times. As a teenager, watching the kids of Skins and the OC made Wiling Out look exciting. Wait, is Misha Barton the cause of all my problems? Partying always looked so fun and glamorous, as did the TV celebrities, stockbrokers and beautiful party girls who would use cocaine to heighten their already booming careers and incredible social lives. Stoners and burnouts made relaxing without an overriding sense of guilt seem attainable for my anxious mind. Smoking cigarettes and drinking black coffee wasn't a smelly, bitter way to stain your teeth. It was sexy. It was French. And alcohol didn't make you piss yourself from one end and vomit from the other, or wake up shivering and damp in a dark alleyway. It just fueled the party until you found a lovely, captivating boy to go home with. You and this boy would share hours of passionate sex, complete with mutual orgasms, then stay up till daybreak enthralled in stories of each other's lives. Instead of the reality where he jizzes in some miscellaneous spot on your bed, passes out almost immediately, and wine snores for the next eight hours until he's conscious enough for you to kick out. I became terrified of the outside world, paranoid of running into anyone who knew me from the before times. So within the acre block of my family home, I spent all my time within the four walls of my childhood bedroom, the now bright blue walls and assault to my already hypervigilant senses. Within my room, I was confined to my bed where I lived for months, only leaving for vodka refills and pee breaks. I was on a break from uni, 
meaning I had no purpose other than running away from my pain. I found it too hard to think about food, what to buy, cook and eat. I didn't even have the energy to put on pants. I wasn't about to leave the house to shop and risk running into anyone. To protect myself from the great unknown, I used my patchy nutritional knowledge and made one smoothie a day stuffed with every nutritional supplement I could think of. I'd make sure to add a ton of chia seeds and protein powder for bulk and voila, the burden of hunger was gone. Fucking genius. I kept my base survival needs mostly met and the rest of the time I drank, smoked, slept and cried. Hashtag life goals. However, on days when I was so achingly lonely that even knocking myself out with booze or benzos wouldn't work, I had another option. It wasn't pretty, but it was different. And even a different kind of suffering is a relief in times of desperation. Within the safety of my bed, I would drink myself into a bold enough stupor to put on some clothes and leave the house. From there, I would head into the night, somewhere I knew people would be, and try to find some strangers to spend time with. I've discovered that the saddest, loneliest people in the world are found wandering the streets looking to continue the party at 3am when everyone else is home, tucked safely in their beds. Like this guy I met on my way home one night who lived in a minuscule apartment at the YMCA. At 45, he didn't look a day over 60. Not wanting to go home and be alone with my shame, I decided to go up to the stranger's room. I watched as he scrounged in his drawers for the coke he was supposed to be saving for the weekend. Meanwhile, I mentally calculated how much flirting I would need to do to make him believe I could fuck him, but that I definitely wasn't going to, just so I could score more gear. I looked around the room for tools I could use in self-defense if things got out of hand. The choices were limited to an empty water glass I could hit him over the head with and a butter knife I could jab him with, making him slightly uncomfortable. Oh well, I decided. If I die, I die. This broke down, sleazy old dude who walked with a limp and a cane was my best opportunity for distraction. And that's what I needed more than anything. More than safety. More than dignity. More than the scarce amount of money I had left. I waited up and decided that even if he killed me, that would be okay. On another such night, I went out in search of distraction. I wanted to get fucked up on lethal amounts of alcohol, 
get high in dingy club bathrooms and be validated by stupid boys. The problem is that when you imagine these nights, you see the coloured lights pulsating in the darkly lit club. You see yourself dancing in slow motion, hair in your face and sweat on your brow, smiling as if you're in an LMFAO music video. You see cheeky giggles as three people squeeze into a bathroom stall to do things that make you mentally apologise to your mother. You see a glorified version of what you imagine fun looks like. In reality, you are in a filthy room with a bunch of people who are also running from themselves, breathing stale air that smells like BO and cigarettes. And the old sleazy DJ who has his eye on you will be too cheap to even buy you a drink. So, you will not only wake up with bad skin and self-loathing, but also be broke. I went home with the geriatric DJ, not because I found him attractive or thought he was in any way interesting, but because the thought of the night ending and tomorrow beginning was too much to bear. I had hoped to still be drunk enough by the time I got to his place that fucking him wouldn't completely destroy me. But I wasn't. Oh well. I tried to remember if I had ever had a one-night stand before. I'd been with Simon for so long. I was only 20 when we met. Jung and I had slept together a handful of times, but I loved him. This was different. This was soulless. This was a hairy, sweaty body I didn't know flapping around on top of me. I was disgusted by it. By him and by me. Obviously, he didn't make me come, or even try to. The entire experience was a gift for him. Not a single thought given to the girl behind the pussy. Afterwards, he got out a piece of paper that on closer inspection were his clear results for a recent STI test. I suppose he thought I would be grateful. I looked from him to the results and felt the rising urge to both vomit and cry. Is this my life now? Is this what being single looks like? I felt my eyes start to fill with tears and excused myself to the toilet, where I wept quietly. From the bedroom, I heard him chuckle. I looked at my mascara-stained cheeks in the mirror and splashed some cold water on my face. Slowly, I walked back into the bedroom to gather my things and order an Uber as the sun was coming up. Don't you judge me, son. The Uber pulled up and I slumped down into the back seat. As the DJ waved me goodbye in his torn boxer shorts, I rolled down the window and fibbed. Oh! You never asked about my sexual health? Yeah, I have herpes. Okay, bye! His face fell 
and he started yelling expletives at the car as we drove off. I hung my head out the window like a dog searching for fresh air and weakly smiled. A small win in a night of failures. After many years working as a policeman and magistrate, my grandpa would conclude that rage is a temporary form of insanity. It chemically alters your brain and your rational responses. I was fueled by blind rage. I believe it was my body's way of protecting me from feeling the enormity of my grief. The rage was all-consuming, but at least it was powerful. It was an interesting time because I wasn't afraid of being unlikable. I relished it. Like a school bully, it gave me a false sense of strength to act like I didn't give a shit. So, I pretended I didn't give a fuck how crazy I looked and became free in my insanity. My anger so controlled me that my psychologist decided it was a good idea to prepare an action plan for how to avoid physically attacking anyone. Specifically, Simon, if I ever ran into him. The crux of the plan was to run swiftly in the opposite direction, but I wasn't convinced I'd be able to follow through. All I could see was that he had left me when I needed him most. He left me and chose someone else. Rationalising our split didn't change my emotional reaction one iota. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him with my bare hands. Whenever I felt anything... Sadness, anger, loneliness, all I could see was his face. He was the living, breathing representation of all my pain, and I hated him for it. His only crime was being alive when Sam and Dad weren't. For years, I would go to sleep with violent images scrolling through my mind like scenes from The Purge playing on repeat. I would see my hands covered in blood and hear bones cracking under my animalistic strength. I felt the metallic taste of blood line my teeth. It was visceral and right there whenever I closed my eyes. At night, adrenaline surged through me as I tried to sleep. My heart would race. I would cry groan in pain and desperately try to eliminate the images of death from my head by listening to some soft-spoken yogi deliver meditation for anger on YouTube. I would listen on repeat for hours, willing myself to sleep, hoping that something in my brain was absorbing her soothing words. Following one of my nights out, I brought home a stray. When going to sleep, I reflexively put on one of my relaxing soundscapes and watched the guy almost jump out of his skin. What the fuck is that? It sounds like someone banging pots and pans. 
he screeched. Being judged by a man who only hours ago was drunkenly taking his pants off in a public bar was upsetting, to say the least. I reluctantly turned off train sounds number three, which in hindsight was just metal grinding aggressively against metal. His questioning of my musical tastes made me examine what I was listening to and how much of a war zone my head must have been in to find loud, erratic, clanging metal soothing enough for sleep. I began to date, regularly meeting men from Tinder and other dating apps. My goal was not to sleep around or have one-night stands. I desperately wanted to meet someone special who would love me back to health. I wanted to find my soulmate and shove my happiness in Simon's face, just like he had done to me. I wanted to win the breakup. Instead, I found men. And men are not like women. Men do not find a broken woman and lick her wounds. The men who are attracted to broken, vulnerable women are the worst kinds, and I was attracting every last one of them. Simon may have left me heartbroken and alone, but the subsequent men took the last of my dignity, self-respect, and power and laughed at me on the way down. These experiences only fueled my anger at Simon, knowing that he was being cared for by a woman, a beautiful woman with all her innate warmth and compassion. He would be patched up and coddled and I would be used as if I was nothing but a human fleshlight. One night, when I was crawling out of my skin with loneliness, I took myself out on the town and ended up at a small, familiar bar. I chose this specific bar because I remembered it as a lesbian bar. I wanted to be surrounded by raucous female energy, not slobbery fuckboys. Unfortunately, I had misremembered, and rather than being a purely queer bar, they just hosted queer events on Friday nights, as they called it. It was midweek, so the crowd was sparse, but for a spattering of men surrounding the bar. I sat at the end of the bar and ordered a drink. I stared down into my vodka orange as if I was an old, weathered man in a saloon, swilling whiskey and thinking about his old flame. The group of three sidled up to me and started making conversation. They weren't funny, but they believed they were, and I was lonely, so I played along, pretending they were the most fascinating people on the planet. One group member had a deck of cards that he would intermittently attempt to perform magic tricks with. He was so bad at this, I genuinely questioned if he had ever seen a deck of cards before. They were sloppy drunk, rude and arrogant. I didn't like them, but I wanted them to like me, or at least spend time with me. 
I think they could smell my desperation like sharks to blood because as the hours passed, they became more blatant with their sexism and jibes at my intelligence. I laughed everything off, just as I had in school, when I was repeatedly reminded how fat I was while the boys assured me they were just joking in both situations. I wanted to cry. One of the boys was very good looking. He was in his late 20s and had a toned physique, striking blue eyes and a powerful jaw. I wasn't attracted to him, he was a self-absorbed knob, but objectively, he was hot. He was charming enough and flirty, but best of all, he bought rounds of drinks and paid me attention, which was really all I wanted. Cheekily, he leaned into me and told me to follow him as he got up and walked to the bathroom. I didn't know if he wanted to have sex, do drugs, or just have me there to witness him taking a slash, but it didn't matter. A few seconds later, I got up and followed him in. He grabbed me and pulled me into the toilet stall, where he kissed me with intent. It was exciting. And although we were making out in a dingy bathroom stall, it was hot. Then he got out a little baggie that looked like cocaine, but he informed me was ketamine. I never understood how a horse tranquilizer, or any tranquilizer for that matter, could enhance an experience, but I wasn't about to turn down an offer to shove some poison into my face. We both did a bump, and as he was lifting the key to his nose, I noticed something shining on his left hand. Is that, is that a wedding band? Jesus, are you married? I pulled away from him in shock. How had I not noticed... Ew, am I at the age now where I have to check for wedding rings? He rattled something off about it being a green card wedding, which I'm pretty sure is just something he heard in an American film, and left the bathroom. I stood there, perplexed, annoyed, and warm and fuzzy inside as the ketamine took hold. I stood in the bathroom stall for a moment, questioning my life choices leading up to this point, and walked out. Upon my return, I saw my married lover, not so stealthily, sneaking out of the bar with chuckling mates in tow. I was speechless. They were literally doing that thing mean girls do in primary school where they run off on one girl, leaving her confused about why she wasn't in on the joke. It was live action ghosting. I wasn't expecting him to leave his wife and start a new life with me, but to not even give me the courtesy of a goodbye after trying to fuck me in the toilet only moments ago. The fucking audacity. Hey! I yelled as I caught them outside waiting for a taxi. Uh, hey, do you want something? Jawline replied, acting as if he had never met me before. 
You don't say goodbye to someone who only moments ago you were fondling in the bathroom stall? I inquired. He looked at his friends, embarrassed and taken aback before shrugging me off. <laughs> that never happened. He rolled his eyes, indicating to his mates how unhinged I was to fabricate this entire story in my head. Oh, you have no idea, buddy. I felt my eye twitch. The three of them stood there smirking and looking at each other as they all pretended they hadn't just spent hours talking, drinking, and playing dumbass magic tricks with me. It was the most blatant gaslighting experience I have ever seen, and it pissed me off. I stepped forward to stand eye to eye with the pretty boy, his cronies on either side of him backing him up like two dopey bouncers. My eyes were wide and my nostrils flared with rage. Simon had been ignoring my existence for months, pretending our entire life together never happened. His family and our many mutual friends erased me from their memories overnight. Sam wasn't giving me a single sign from the afterlife and some self-important bully in a place I can hardly pronounce allegedly murdered my father, cremated him without our consent and walked away Scott fucking free. Nothing made me crazier than being erased without a thought. Oh, hell no. Nah. This guy picked the wrong psycho to fuck with. I was so mad that I'm reasonably sure there was actual steam coming out of my ears. I felt like screaming every profanity in the world into their smarmy faces, spitting and scratching at their eyes like a rat, but I didn't. I channeled meditation for anger and took a few deep, centering breaths, bringing myself back to my body, now quaking with rage. I was intensely connected to the enhanced physical sensations in my body. The tingling of my fingertips, my hair all standing on end, and the heavy thumping of my heart as it powered my limbs with fresh, fiery blood. I looked into his black eyes and saw every man who had ever fucked me over, lied to me, mocked me, and made me feel less than. I was sick to death of insecure little boys using women to inflate their fragile egos, thinking it's funny to leave us more broken than they found us. And I was really fucking pissed off that every one of my female friends has lived this moment more times than they can count. What silly little women we've been to think a man would treat us with respect without expectation. It's our fault they leave, hurt, humiliate, use, degrade, rape and murder us. It's our fault because it certainly couldn't be theirs. 
My body was pumping adrenaline through every limb and I felt my fingers slowly close into a fist by my side. I was completely focused as I zeroed in on his jaw. Am I, am I really going to do this? Then suddenly, I saw my fist flying through the air and landing smack right against his perfectly chiseled jaw. Fucking ouch, fuck. I had never punched anyone before. Not even a wall in anger. It was like punching cement. I internally celebrated that I hadn't missed and stood in front of him panting like a rabid dog. I may have actually snarled. It was fucking fantastic. The group of boys stared at me in shock for a moment before turning and running away like the little girls they loathed so much. I felt so powerful. I wanted to beat my chest and scream like a banshee, calling all my sisters to unite against the patriarchy. I waited until they were out of sight and then realized I had just committed assault. So much for my psychology training and quickly got in a cab to flee the crime scene. I smiled all the way home. When I got home, I crawled into bed with mum. She put her arms around me in her sleepy haze and asked if I'd had a good night. Well, I punched some guy in the face. Did he deserve it? She asked groggily. Yes. All right, then. She squeezed me tightly and held me as I fell asleep. In the morning, I filled her in on the whole story. Without judgment, she simply added, Well, I hope it left a bruise for his wife to find. Best mum ever.